0: Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, Chicago's only professional wizard. Lost items found, paranormal investigations, consulting, advice, reasonable rates, no love potions, endless purses, or other entertainment. With me, as always, is my good friend and 40K mentor, a Missouri farmer who's also the black staff of the White Council. He is the Ebenezer McCoy to my hairy Blackstone Copperfield Dresden, Mr. Stephen Box. Steve, welcome
1: back. You've been gone for a while. Yeah, I've been a busy boy, mate. I went on holiday. Um, well, yeah, I went on holiday, and then I had loads of work to do, and then I had the LGT. So, yeah, I've been quite, quite busy.
0: Yeah, yeah, the last... Uh, I know we kind of released some of the episodes out of order, but uh, the last few... I think three or four recordings I've done have all been with Mike. So yeah, it's been a while since you and I caught up. So Um, yeah. So fortunately this is going to be a, uh, and also, you know, I know you have no idea what my reference was because it's from my absolutely favorite book series, but I I figure one or two listeners will get what I was referring to.
1: What's the book series?
0: Um, It's called the Dresden files. Okay. It's about, it's about a, it's, it's um, urban fantasy. So not exactly your, your preferred genre, but, he does, they're all detective books, but he's also a wizard. So all of his stuff that he ends up working, you know, solving has some supernatural angle to it. They're fantastic books.
1: Can I listen to an Audible? Yeah. Yeah. They got them all on Audible. Send me a link and I'll, uh, I'll give it a listen. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. And uh, y- cool, man. you can, um I'll give you a, a recommendation as well. My favorite are Terry Pratchett books.
0: Oh yeah. I know Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I read one of his long time ago. Yeah. But yeah.
1: I really like the series about uh, Commander Vimes, so the first one of that series is called Guards, Guards, I think, so uh, yeah, it's a good one.
0: All right, yeah, I'll look into that. I'm uh, I'm almost done with my uh, my history book that I'm reading on, uh, on the Republic of the Pirates that was going on in the Caribbean in the mm. 1700s. Anyway, so. what are we talking about on today's show? Is- but today, we are talking about with rules. Court is in session. We are going to sit down and go through all of the rules lore questions that were posted on the community Facebook page up through last night when I was putting my notes together for this morning. Um, I think somebody, one or two other questions got posted real quick this morning, we haven't had, I'm not, we'll have to get to those later. So uh, in future episodes, but we're doing all rules lawyer today. So nice little change of pace from all the codex stuff. But first we got to acknowledge uh, as always our incredible sponsors, St- Siege Studios. Uh, so if you need anything commissioned, painted, or if you uh, want to get any uh, education on painting and want to get some one-on-one or some group classes, Look no further than Siege Studios, guys. Please, check them out. And then, uh, do we have any other sponsors we need to acknowledge? No, that is everything
1: for today, yeah. All right. Uh,
0: but as always, guys, please uh, don't forget to check out Harder and Steenbeck uh, with regards to the, uh, uh, the charity project they got going on that, that, where they teamed up with uh, Steve and Vanguard. Uh, so definitely check them out. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, please join the Competitive 40K Podcast community Facebook page. The password for this month is call K-A-H-L. K-A-H-L. Uh, I'm still, uh, if you do last month's password, I'll, I'll still, you know, give you a pass and let you in because I know we kind of released these on a delay. So um, no no hard feelings there. But if you try to apply to get in and you don't answer any of our questions, you're not getting let in. I also had somebody, like, put in there, I don't know if they've read the question wrong or what, but somebody I was going through last night and somebody put, um, do you agree not to, you know, put any non non work workcom?" spoilers into the pay- facebook page and they said no well then you're not getting in we we have a giant anti-spoiler policy going on here folks we don't like spoilers they actually cause steve's blood pressure to go up which for a man in his shape is very difficult to do i sit on my
1: watch it goes you know high stress levels have just you know come into play as soon as i see a leak so yeah
0: yep yeah it's terrible so uh all right um we do have a couple of reviews to to go over and i i gotta love um both of these i had to put in Uh, The first one was titled Best in Class. Five-star review. Thank you very much. Best 40K show from the Best 40K org, Vanguard Tactics. Their ethos of fair playing community is really refreshing. The host, quote, the American guy, is great. Thank you very much. Uh, His intros are clever, and he has a pragmatic, humble streak that makes him a nice foil for Steven Box, a a likable poppin' jay. They both know tons about 40K, share advice that comes from hours of thinking and playing, and put impressive effort into cranking out consistently rewarding episodes. That's from Zalbrook on Apple Podcasts. You, sir, are gentlemen.
1: I had to Google what a Poppin' J was.
0: I thought it was a Brit term. I, 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 haven't, I, I haven't heard that term since some old Disney movie. <laughs> well, I'll let the
1: people at home Google it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll let y'all do your own homework. All right. You want to do the next one?
1: Sure. Um, I completely um, disagree you know, with this one anyway, but here we go. So good content even for an American. Five stars.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I still like Well, you know, we we have we have mod we we, we modify our standards here.
1: That's it, yeah. Uh, such good content. Really love their in-depth analysis of all the new codexes, especially the new chaos ones. Despite the title, which is in jest, I don't get quite why they hate for the American. He knows his stuff. So uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was actually me who commented I hate the American guy. Uh, keep up all the good content really good uh, enjoying listening to work and that's from comedian plug thank you very much I really really appreciate that all the way from Canada so uh, thank you so much for your five star reviews and remember please do like subscribe and give us a five star review uh, and share us your your funny things I've I've heard so many recently Um, so uh, people come up to me and they're like I want to leave your review on the podcast and they tell me what they're going to put I'm like well we'll put it then we'll read it out that's that's the thing Don't tell me at the event. That's not the
0: same. That's like clients who wait until we actually walk into court and they're like, oh, I need you to tell the judge this, 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 and this. Look, I'm smart. I don't have an eidetic memory. Slow down. (laughs) You got to write this stuff out or send me an email the night before or something. Mm. All right. Uh, Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't forget to check us out on social media. Um, You can always find Steve on Instagram at at The Vanguard Tactics. Uh, Mike is uh, always available at at VT underscore Mike underscore. Uh, And I'm still there at uh, Infantry Lawyer 40K. So. Yeah, don't forget to check out the uh, the Academy at www.vanguardtactics.com, And don't forget to go to YouTube and check out all the VT stream games and the other content there. So thanks again for the all the all the comments. We've got we've had a whole bunch pour in lately. We really appreciate it. Um and we will get to reading all of those out eventually. So anything else we gotta cover before we jump into it?
1: No, that's um obviously we'll have to do an LGT review at some point. Um Oh absolutely. Yeah, and what are you about to eat, you can stop that right now. Otherwise you're gonna be
0: uh just msr eating you eating grapes yeah (laughs) dude it's early morning i haven't i'm not i'm not gonna be able to get to the gym today so i'm just drinking my water and eating some grapes get a little early morning sugar in
1: (laughs) anyway so the main topic of the rules what are you
0: talking about msr i don't even know what that means
1: uh is it asmr when you're just like
0: oh 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 when you can hear me crunching sorry my bad that that i will i will stop then i thought you i thought i was pulling away from the microphone far enough no um, anyway, so, my bad. So um, I apologize to everybody else who heard me chewing. That's that's tacky. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. I apologize over here, like a Canadian. So let's go. Let's do this. All right, first let's get one. to it. All right, court is in session. Bang my imaginary gavel. All right, our first question is from our, uh, our longtime fan and uh, member, uh, Accidental Viking, also known as Adam. Uh, basically, without reading the the entire thing out, basically he's asking how the armor of Russ, which Puts fight last on a single opponent within an engagement range. Um, interacts with the Silent King's fight last aura. So um, he asks, do they cancel each other out, or would it just play as if normal combat rules applied, Your Honor?
1: Okay, so basically, how this is interact is one is a basically a pick a unit ability, and the other is an aura ability. Um, now, what would essentially me- happen is depending on who charged. So I'm going to assume. Um it's the for example the the space wolf player's turn. Okay. So when they make that charge, they gain the fight first rule. Okay. So that would then therefore mean they because they've got fight first, and regardless of basically um how many units charged a silent king, they all have fight first. So they're gonna go in and combat with the silent king, um, and they've all got the fight first wording as it stands. Now the file, the silent king's aura would then take place knocking them all down from fight first to a basically kind of fight normal stage um, at which point the silent king would actually go first at this stage because um, he would be the non-player's turn and would be able to pick the first unit to fight with so therefore could pick the silent king. So therefore the silent king would go before obviously those Space Wolf uh, units, providing this was the only charging uh, or combat in the area. However, the Armour of Rust means that at the start of the fight phase, this rule can pick the Silent King to fight last. Now, because the Silent King does not have fight first, it would go from fight normal down to fight last. So basically what we've got is this aura of making everybody fight normal, which happens before the fight last step, um, and then the Silent King would go. So actually... The um accidental Viking, your armor of Russ on the charge would trump the silent King in this instance, okay? Um, if however, it was the silent King and charged into um, loads of different units, um, now the silent King has the fight first wording, so therefore the armor of Russ would just knock that off and take it down to fight normal. Um, and then for example, the Silent King would make all of the space wolves essentially, fight last so therefore the silent king would trump in this instance so yeah um the fight first is really key there so whoever charges basically uh would win that if nobody had charged and everybody was basically on a fight normal step um and therefore you both had a fight last what would essentially happen is you start with the player whose turn is taking place at this instance um and that they would, you know, basically attack with the first unit. So that's how that would work. Hopefully I've described that okay.
0: All right. Yeah. I know you love having to explain fight yeah. first, fight last, fight normal. <laughs> it's a, I wish that they had done some kind of a graphic in the book so they could explain how it, you downshift and upshift um, speeds based on who's got who charges, who's got yeah. fight first, who's got fight last, et cetera. So um hopefully the 10th edition book has some sort of graphic and they they keep that cuz i like that rule i it once you understand it it's very clean and very easy to, yeah. to um affect but it's just a matter of a lot of people struggle to like visualize this, how the the three ranks of speeds and how it jumps up and jumps down so
1: and obviously that's exactly what we did on the academy we just break it down in real simple uh, information so it's easy to understand yeah okay next up
0: thank you your honor next question uh, is from James Hussein. Um, the His question is, the new wording for new malefic daemon weapons is, unless otherwise specified, malefic weapons are never affected by effects or abilities that allow models to make additional attacks, or abilities that would add to, subtract from, or improve their characteristic in any way. Therefore, do malefic weapons ignore armor of contempt? Yeah, they do.
1: Because armor of contempt does not explicitly specify that it also is affected by malefic weapons.
0: Yeah. And there's even a new FAQ that just dropped yesterday that clarifies this also. That the answer is yes. Malefic weapons cannot be modified in any way. So armor of contempt doesn't do anything to malefic weapons. All right. Uh, then we have a question for this strange person who I believe is in the new Lord of the Rings show as a, as a Harfoot, uh, as a, you know, the, the Hobbits. Uh, his name is Jake Volton Harding. You ever heard of this person? Nope. Nope. Never heard of him. All right. Anyway, he asked, who will be the king call me or Steven box? And of course the answer to that is uh, me, but Steve will always be the champion. The i here champion. Oh, I see. I think Jake's lost the plot. Yeah, probably. I am Carl and I am champion. I'm both. <laughs> okay. Are you, are you, are you uh, going to be taking the Votan anytime soon? Or are you going to wait for the full model release? Oh, I don't know, mate. Um, I've got an event coming up and I could take them.
1: Uh, but it does mean I've got to paint another three bikes and twenty warriors. Um, so I don't know if I really fancy doing that in the days I have left until the event. But yeah, yeah. I am looking forward to the rest of the release yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, I'm I'm I don't think depending on the release schedule and how quickly I can get stuff so painted, I'm just expecting at this point I'm just gonna hold off and do Votan after LVO. I'm gonna just do twenty twenty three will the will be the year of space dwarves for me. Fair um, enough.
1: Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. Um I also want to just take my time with this. Like all of my other armies, I always like decided. And then I like rushed to play with them. Cause I was so excited to play with my new toys. And so I, but this time I'm like, I'm ordering custom bases and I'm doing like a lot of, I'm like really want to put my time and effort into making this my best army yet, especially with, you know, now that James, I've got all that coaching from James on my painting. So yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. All right. Jack tinning asks uh trans hitman uh, cannot be hit on a roll of one, two or three, regardless of any model's abilities However, the Arbiter's gaze always hits on a two regardless of any model's abilities. Who wins?
1: Okay, so normally a cannot will override a can. So for example, if you can set up, I don't know, like within nine inches because of a deep strike, or you can set up within nine, um, I know there's some units that can do that. Um, However, the cannot deep strike within 12 trumps it so you still can't you know set up within 12 inches so yeah i would go with cannot trumps can so it always places the emphasis in the defenders play uh the defender player has the priority in this respect i would say
0: yeah i, I that's that and that's what you've been teaching me since you and i first since i first joined vanguard which is cannot always overrides can so yeah you don't i don't care what arbiter's gaze i mean what are what's arbiter's gaze from
1: believe it's the um dark angel relic uh where you always hit on a two oh, okay. you know in overwatch and all that kind of stuff so yeah it just takes the lethality out of the game a little bit which i think is also the right thing to do
0: yeah 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 the, the games kill enough we, we need we're you know we want things to live on the board a little longer uh so all right there J- jack thank you for the question and hopefully that helps you out uh all right your honor next question uh brent cryfield or cryfield sorry dude i'm butchering your name um, I have a uh, uh, his question was about base sizes. Uh, thirty-two millimeter bases are, um, you know what they're using now for, um, Primaris Marines for Marines. Yeah. Um, he says, is it the standard size now? Are they phasing out what I think of as the original base size, which for those who don't know is twenty-eight millimeter? Um, specifically, should I be updating my Drakari army and replacing the rank and file with thirty-two millimeter bases? I believe they're still on twenty-eights.
1: Okay, so uh, there's not a Original base size, I would say, because it's always going to depend on the type of model that you're you're using. So, for example, uh, in terms of making your army tournament legal, then all you need to do is have a look on the Games Workshop website and see which base size is supplied with the box. Okay, uh, so for example, uh, Incubi um, probably were before on twenty-four mil bases. Uh, they might now be on those new fancy Eldari ones, which also sisters happen to be on, which are the 28s. I don't think they're on 32s. I don't think it's that size. Uh, but yeah, a quick Google search will tell you what comes in the box and just make sure you keep them up to date. You know, you can get base extenders. You can always stick your old base on a new base and kind of, you know, like sand it a bit so it looks like a ridge it stood on or a rock. You can always do that kind of stuff. Equally, I've always cut mine off around the feet and then you've ended up with a little bit of plastic base. Um, and then I just stick that onto the new base and it just gives you a chance to spruce up your bases anyway uh and make them look a little bit prettier. So um yeah, uh just quick Google search and they are the base sizes that they should be on for tournaments, depending on what they're supplied with. So if you do have, you know, some really old models, you know, make sure you do keep up with the base sizes. It's really important, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Brent, I actually just went on to answer your question just to double check. I just jumped on the GW website right now and in the time that it took Steve to answer your question. I looked it up, and uh, if you just go on the on the individual units page on the GW website, and scroll down to where to the to the tab where it says description, it'll tell you. Like for Incubi, it says um, it includes uh, five twenty-eight point five millimeter Citadel round bases and a twenty-five millimeter round base, which is for the little. I think they have some thing. little extra thing that that goes with them. But yeah, the, so they're on all of them. They're on twenty-eight point five millimeter. So what twenty-eight millimeter bases? Um, yeah. I did the same thing with the Votan. I, had, you know, I waited till I got my army box set and checked the size of the bases that were in the box, and used that when I went on Etsy to buy my my custom bases that yeah. I'm going to use on them.
1: But obviously, like witches and racks might be on the old 24, so just have a look on the box size what they're supplied with. Uh, so yeah. don't upgrade your entire army to 28s or to 32s if actually they need to be. Okay, so just yeah. check on there.
0: Yeah, there's no I'm standard. Sure. Just check each individual unit you're going to upgrade. And look on the website yeah. or look on the box. All right, uh, next question is from Jose Kramer. Uh, His question is, almost all Tyranid powers are able to be done from synaptic link range, but what about normal powers, I'm assuming he means like smite, "Uh, or psychic actions? Uh, I can't use synaptic link range for smite or psychic interrogation, correct?
1: Uh, Correct, yeah, unless it explicitly says uh, you need to go off exactly what it does say. So if it does say the Tyranid powers, that's all you can do from there. All right. And there's a difference between a psychic action and a psychic power.
0: Yeah. My understanding was that you can use it for smite, but you can't use it for warp ritual or psychic interrogation. That was how I read it.
1: Unfortunately, Michael's got the NID book, so I can't uh, see the wording. But if it explicitly says, like, you know how a lot of psychic trees have like a name? Yeah. Um, So if it's like the Nid Discipline or whatever, you can cast a Nid Discipline. Well, Smite isn't part of that Nid Discipline or the Hive Mind Discipline, whatever it's called. So then the answer would be no, you couldn't use Smite. If it just says manifesting psychic powers, um, then yes, you can cast Smite. So just check the wording on what it says there and that will give you your clarification. But in terms of actions, no, because they're not psychic powers.
0: Yeah, and I don't have, of course, I don't have my Nid Codex because my wife has it because she's getting all excited about building a Nid army now. So that'll be great next year. Botan versus my, my here all next year will be my Botan into her nids. Um, all right. Uh, next question. Nate Borst. Uh, he says, I've always wanted to know this. Does Lookout, sir, apply to units that are in engagement range? I.e. I have a unit of Assault Intercessors in melee and my librarian behind them isn't in melee. Would that rule still apply?
1: Yes, the rule still applies. Um, also, you could actually have the librarian in combat as well. And let's say the assault intercessors are basing the, uh, let's say they're in combat with a land raider. So let's say the assault intercessors are in base to base combat with the chaos land raider, but the librarian is within engagement range, but not based. So obviously base is the closest it can be. Uh, The land raider would not be able to target the librarian because he is not the closest eligible model and the uh, librarian is within within three inches of a unit of three or more models. So
0: yeah. Yep. And. The But if they, the Librarian and the Assault Intercessors were all in base-to-base contact with the Land Raider, the Land Raider could choose to shoot the Librarian if it wanted to.
1: Correct, because they're equidistance and it's at the player's priority then to choose, yeah.
0: Yep. So, all right. Uh, great question, Nate. Thank you very much. Um, I've actually had that question come up at, at, at tournaments, so um, that's a, that's one of those questions that I think was, is fantastic because it's something that a lot of people will run into at events. And hopefully your ta T.O. Knows the rules almost as well as Steve does. Um, all right. Eric B. Weiberg. He his question is, is Gaholax the Decayed? Which I believe that's the Nurgle demon weapon relic. in the, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, the relic demon weapon in the new CSM book. All right. He said, is Geholax the Decade a good workaround for the rules that give the transhuman buff, like the Strat, Inner Circle, or Eldrad from Ulthway? So can that demon weapon ignore transhuman? I think we go back to or yeah, previous so, answer.
1: Yeah, basically the Gohalax, um, a hit counts as a wound. So you don't actually ever roll to wound. So when it states that um, you can't be wounded on a 1, 2, or 3 roll, well, you've already wounded. It kind of skips that entire stage. So Galax or Gohalax, whatever it's called, does is a, is a really, really good workaround for the transhuman because you never actually roll to wound. You just hit and you wound instantly.
0: Yeah, oh, same thing with judgment tokens.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So that's gonna be another good workaround for. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow, I just I didn't I hadn't even thought about because I It's been a while since I played against Dark Angels. It's gonna uh, that's gonna really tick off some inner circle people um, when votan are really prevalent on the table in a in a month or two.
1: Yeah, or Leviathan Nids.
0: Yeah, or Leviathan Nids. Yeah, all that built in transhuman is gonna go the way of uh, the dinosaurs.
1: I don't know if you can hear that, Dave, but. A, can you hear that tiny, tiny little violin just right I, now?
0: I, I do. It's just this, yeah. It's like the world's tiniest violin playing My Heart Bleeds for you. Weird.
1: Yeah, for those Leviathan Nid players. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And oh my God, I just spilled over this giant bowl of salt that was just randomly next to me at the table. Weird. <laughs> All right. Next question. Um, Daniel Higdon asks, uh, discard a miracle dice plus leap of faith interaction. Um, The leap of faith secondary from, um, as it's reprinted in Nephilim, uh, states that when an act of faith is performed, gain VP. According to the act of faith ability, an act of faith is performed when a die to be rolled is substituted by a pre-rolled miracle die, does not re-roll if you can re-roll, and counts uh, as an unmodified roll. However, multiple strats from the sister codex discard miracle dice. Does a miracle die modified by a stratagem still count as performed for leap, even if? basically does discarding a miracle dice count as an act of faith? Um, Unless, correct me if I'm wrong, but the answer is no, because it has to specifically say this is an act of faith. Act of faith are only, uh, you only do an act of faith when you intentionally reroll a die, and you can only reroll certain die rolls. Hit rolls, wound rolls, armor saves, and leadership tests, morale tests, and that's it. So, oh, and and advance and charge rolls. So if it's not one of those six dice rolls, it doesn't count right? You'd like the lawyer and the judge now. Sorry. I apologize, your honor. This is my courthouse. I object. Yes, your honor.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so basically, um, yes, Dave, you are correct on this one time. All right.
0: <laughs> I figure with all of my, with all of my experience dealing with sisters, I, I should hopefully get this one right.
1: Yeah, I've got a bit of experience dealing with sisters as well. You do. Um, You do. Yeah. So basically, like Dave said, um, it's not actually an act of faith that you're performing um, so that you wouldn't be able to do it for discarding dice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, Now, moving on, and I'm going to absolutely butcher this name, and I apologize in advance. Gear Ravi Espergrin Duta. He says he had a discussion regarding when to resolve effects triggered after manifesting a power the manifesting power in quotes um, examples being a thousand suns, capitalistic ritual, um, malevolent charge and the stratagem warped regeneration. Um, the text on manifesting power says to manifest the psychic power, you must first pass the psychic test. The opposing player can then select one of their psyker units within 24 inches of the psyker unit, attempting to manifest the power and attempt to deny that power, um, uh, you know, by resolve by passing a deny the witch test. Um, malevolent charge, as an example, states, use this cabalistic ritual when a psychic power is successfully manifested by a unit from your army. In this discussion, I argue that you're in a situation where you have several effects triggering off at the same time, following a successful manifestation. One of them is being resolved, the effect of the power you successfully manifested, since it's your turn, you choose since it's your turn, you choose the order. However, you could make a case that additional effects triggering off successful manifestations have to be triggered first, and then you resolve the effect of the power. This is relevant in some instances, such as knowing if malevolent charge has an effect or not, or teleporting a unit with sorcerer's facade and then regenerate a model for an easier charge. It's a great question. Um, so, Your Honor. Okay, it's a bit of a long one, this one. Yeah.
1: Um, when to resolve effects triggered after manifesting a power? Okay, examples being the Thousand Suns Cabalistic Ritual. Okay, right. So... It's only going to, I think, in terms of the game, count as being successfully manifested if it isn't denied. So, because it says after the deny, the witch test, the psychic test is success- successfully manifested and its effects, okay, uh, will then be resolved. So, obviously, that opponent does get that interaction to deny first before it's counted as being a successful manis- uh, manifestation. Um, now in terms of um, you know, the order in which you do things and if you were to, let's say, warp um somewhere and, you know, redeploy nine inches away, um, and then you were to set up another model if that's something that you could do, I don't really see why you couldn't place that, you know, two inches closer with incoherency for a closer charge. I don't see why you couldn't do that. Because At the time in which you were set up, you basically were uh, able to keep your unit nine inches away. uh, And then obviously you're on to then the next psychic power uh, and then you're putting a model back. So, yeah, you could, I I think you could do that. I think that would work is fine.
0: Isn't the default rule that, like you suggested that, you know, it's your turn, you choose in what order effects resolve? Yeah. That's just sort of the general rule. So, But you... I think, for example,
1: um, it depends whether the effect is immediately before the, uh, the power takes place.
0: Almost like the, the, like the malevolent charge would interrupt before it is successfully manifested, but before you actually apply the effect of the power, then you would do all yeah. these other effects that are trigger off the manifestation.
1: Okay, so that's a really good question. Um, and it's quite, I think, complicated to go through. So I have done a little bit of extra research on this one for you. Um, how I would rule this one is that basically it's only manifested as soon as um, the Deny the Witch is failed. Okay, so let's say you want to um, use the Maleficent Charge, which basically means like you do loads of extra mortal wounds if you already do mortal wounds. So let's say you cast Smite and you want to do an extra D3 mortal wounds. Okay, so it goes off. Let's say the power it's not denied, therefore it's successfully manifested. You would cast your Smite first, uh, do the damage from Smite, and then you would resolve the extra D3 uh, mortal wounds, OK, so that's how that would work. Um, now, in terms of you m- mentioned about using the ability to sort of pick up a unit, stick it down somewhere else, uh, and then like if it goes off on a certain thing, regenerate a certain model, making your charge easier, well, I would interpret this as, is it manifested? Yes, OK, cool, you get the model back. That instantly happens. Um, and then you would resolve the psychic power itself. That's how I would feel like that is the fairest way to resolve that um sort of situation and also um the the ruling on that. Okay. So you would put up the model first, then you would uh, you know, put into play moving the moving the unit around because it happens as soon as it's manifested. That's how I would rule that.
0: Okay. Just a lot of this thing, some of like the malevolent charge, um read it all the way through and that that one pretty much answers your question because you have to have the damage from the other power happen first before the additional D3 happens. But with some of the other things, like I understand the the teleporting with Sorcerer's Facade could cause a little bit of confusion, especially if you're combining it with Warped Regeneration. The good thing is with the Stratagem doesn't have a range on it, so you could also look at it as you know, like if if somebody's arguing with you at at an event, you can say that the Strat just says whenever it's it's done. I don't, there's no range on it, so I could teleport. If you want me, I'll teleport them first and then put the model down. It's either or. It's going to have the same effect. So because either way, you're going to teleport a unit and get to put the models in whatever position you want to. So you're not using it really to gain any sort of advantage. Yeah. So. So, so you basically get the
1: model back after it's manifested. So as soon as it's not denied, it's successfully manifested. So that's what trigger the, the model back or the heel of the D three. And then you would resolve the actual powers effects. Okay. In that yeah. order. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, great question though. Really. That was, thank you gear. That was a really good question. All right, uh, next one is from Phil Hopkinson. Um, he would really like an entire episode dedicated to the Yanari um, and then had several other smaller questions underneath that. Um, Phil, I'm not going to go through all that today because, A, I think Seb stole your, your Eldari Codex, right?
1: Yeah, I can't look up the exact word. In. I might better yeah. do a couple of these off the top of my head, though. So if you want, like, uh, here's a rule to kind of keep you going, then I can try and do my best for you now. So what is the questions?
0: Um, do Phantasm powers work on Kraft worlds units?
1: phantasm powers so phantasm powers are the harlequin ones um and basically would they then work because you replace S- the sedate with yanari it's a really good question actually um my gut instinct would say no because you have to you have to be a harlequin's detachment to get access to those powers right uh, no so because you've got a psycho you can basically get that power um so you still get the tree the psychic tree from the shadow seer My interpretation before was that you could only use those on actual Yanari uh, Yanari uh, models. Um, Sorry, Harlequin Yanari models. Uh, That would be my interaction. And if you're ever unsure, play it safe first. Before you try to adapt it to gain those other interactions. So, I will get the codex and give it a closer read and see if I can get a, a better example for you. But for now, if you are running Yunari, just play it safe. Don't try and like game your opponent uh, if you're not 100% on the clarity and the intent of it. So, always play it safe first. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, um, and we should actually, because I've been seeing a lot more Yunari people coming up in tournaments and stuff, we need to, we need to bring in um, Ben and uh, do it just a Yunari. Episode, I think. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be good for a lot of a lot of reasons. Uh so um all right, next question. Adam Walker asked, um uh he says, Okay, I've got one might get might be getting mixed up with eighth edition, but with the Night Lords deep striking. Uh my question is, can Night Lords make a turn one charge into my deployment zone? Um, and they're still in combat for my turn? Um, If I want to deep strike my own squad into my own deployment zone, since they have no control zone being in combat, uh, do I still need to be nine inches away? Also, would it work in no man's land? Thank you.
1: Okay, so yeah, I think a little bit of confusion is happening here. Um, you can never arrive any closer than nine inches from a deep strike, specifically a deep strike. Um, for example, from Warped Talons or Nightlord Raptors or something. So they can only ever come in Um, basically over nine inches away, uh, regardless of where you are on the table. So you need to look at where your opponent's models are. uh, And let's say the unit of five, you measure nine inches away from each of those five models, and then you can start to place your unit. Uh, If you're coming on from strategic reserve, however, into your own deployment zone, you can actually set up closer and you can actually push your unit straight into combat. But that's coming in from strategic reserve and not deep strike. And they are two separate. They are two different things.
0: Yeah. Oh, and the other exception to that would, of course, be um, demons. Because they can, if they're coming into their own deployments on demons can come in. I think it was within three.
1: Yeah. So that, that's when it would explicitly say differently. Uh, yeah. But yeah, for, in terms of night lords, and, you know, there's some jeans dealer stuff in. Grey Knights used to have one in where you can set up sometimes closer. Uh, than that nine inches, but yeah, typically from a deep strike. Um, if you're using that inbuilt rule, that's where they go. Otherwise, you'd have had to pay the points in terms of power level to put things into strategic reserve to gain that other type of ability. Um, so yeah, it would depend on what you did at the start of the battle ra- or start of the game as to where you put them. All right,
0: all right, great question though, Adam. Thank you. Uh, and now we've got uh, Tim Satterley who uh, is being a little greedy. Uh, he had a couple of questions, um, and of course, one of them is a Tyranid question. So you know. I'll see what I can do. Well, hopefully, we can do. You can do this off memory. Uh, first one is the situation came up in the War Games live stream on Sunday, September eighteenth. If a Tyranid Hive Tyrant Warlord is dead, which would cause the army to lose access to synaptic imperatives, does the psychic power Hive Nexus still offer a unit the benefit of a synaptic imperative? Um,
1: so what we need to look up is basically um, whether you just lose all of them, and I would actually say they probably lose them all um and i and i would say actually that that kind of power wouldn't really work i'd probably say so yeah that's how i would interpret that based on the faq of the warhammer community uh let's have a quick look now
0: because the hive nexus says um it's a blessing with a warp charge value of seven if manifested uh select one friendly leviathan core unit within synaptic link range of this psyker and select one synaptic imperative ability of a friendly leviathan synapse model that is also within synaptic link range of the Psyker. It's using the keyword synaptic imperative until the start of your next turn, that unit benefits from that synapse model synaptic imperative ability as if it was active for your army and as if they were within six inches of one another. Uh, It says, in addition to the one that is currently active for your army. It keeps referring to synaptic imperative with capital S capital I. I, I'd argue uh, your honor that uh, Hive Nexus would stop working. Because if you don't have access to synaptic imperatives, you cannot select one that's avail- one ability of a friendly leviathan synapse model because they've all lost them. It has to have a leviathan synapse imperative model with that ability nearby to, to pick it, to, to, to activate it.
1: Yeah. So basically it says here, um, replace the first paragraph. This is actually on the balance update, not on the FAQ. Uh, so replace the first paragraph of synaptic ability with, if every unit is hive tendril, blah, 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 is from the same hive fleet. Then while your warlord is on the battlefield, synapse units from your army have a synaptic imperative ability, depending on which one is active for your army. So I would look at that as basically, hey, he's not on the table. You no longer have the synaptic imperative ability. So therefore, you wouldn't be able to use it.
0: Yeah, as soon as he's off the table, all of the other models that have synaptic imperatives lose that ability. So, therefore, yeah. you don't have it. There's nothing for Hive Nexus to trigger off of. Yeah. So, all right, Tim, great question. Uh, next one, he has two questions on marker lights. Um, first one, if a commander has two marker light drones doing the action, does that stop reroll one's aura from working? Um, and then second question, can marker light drones with a crisis squad advance and complete the marker light, light action? I've uh, been playing it as a yes based on some sources, but apparently some turnists have been ruling it as a no. So, um, marker lights changed a lot. I, can I feel this one, Your Honor? Sure, go ahead. Thank you. Um, and of course, you can tell me if I'm when I'm wrong. So uh, with marker lights, because they change it in this, you know, in the new codex to it being an action, you got to follow all the rules for actions. So um, as far as the marker light drones, the the unit is counted as doing the action. So or it says the the model does it, but the model is part of the unit, so even if only one model in the unit's doing the action, the unit's doing an action just like if only one model advances, the unit counts as advancing so um if your if your marker led drones are are doing the action, it does turn off the reroll one's aura. however, the action completes at the start of your shooting phase, so the aura will kick right back on, so it's irrelevant um however, with your second one, if the cry- the actions you can't do an action if a, if a unit has advanced. You can do a you can do a um, a regular move, a normal move, and and still do an action. But you can't. That's why you know you can have a unit move onto a objective and raise a banner, but you can't have them advance onto the objective and raise a banner because they advance. You can't advance and do an action. So same thing with marker light drones. If you I, that's actually for my list that I'm using this at the tournament I'm going to this weekend my i'm using the cold star commander and i want him to be flying and zipping all around the table so i can't have him with marker drones like i normally would so he has no drones so the answer is if a, if a crisis squad or anybody advances you can't complete the marker light action the action is interrupted you declare the action at the start of your turn and then they advance your actions interrupted and you're done correct no no, no you can't i like it yeah. yeah nice well done all right Thank you, Your Honor. All right. uh, Two questions left. Joe Loader asks, uh, not sure if this qualifies or not. If unit A is charged by enemy unit one and two, and unit A is wiped out by enemy unit one, can enemy unit two consolidate into a different unit and get to fight in that fight phase? Master of the combat phase? It depends. (laughs) That was an incredibly law school uh, lawyer-like, judge-like answer. That was fantastic. Thank every you. the the correct answer to literally every question in law school is it depends. So it it depends.
1: So if, for example, um, unit two, one of the charging units, declared unit A and also a unit B, and ended in an engagement range of both A and B, and then, for example, unit one wiped out A. uh, Unit two can declare their attacks onto unit B because they declared them as a charge. If, however, unit one and two only declared unit A as a charge and unit one killed A, then unit two could consolidate into a different unit, but they would not get to fight. Even if they had a fight on death, they would not be able to fight because they did not declare them and are not eligible to fight on something that weren't either declared as a charge, or that unit did not heroically intervene. So, um, yeah, that's basically the ruling on that.
0: Awesome. The judge has spoken. We got to get you yeah. a gavel. Yeah. I need one. Yeah. i might get you one for Christmas. I've got Thor's hammer, but I don't know if you hear it. Yeah. I heard the, the, the big thump. I wasn't sure yeah. if that was your fist on the desk or it was that it sure, was. your, your Mjolnir. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, and then lastly, Adam Walker, uh, uh, also jumped back in line here with another question. I'm assuming it's the same Adam Walker. Uh, he says, uh, deep strike of a unit is in combat. It has no, wait, it's the same question. I think he just restated it because I didn't answer it the first time on that. Warcom. Yes, no, same question. Um, he just re-asked it. Um, no, you cannot deep strike. You don't, You even if you're d- deep striking into your own deployment zone, you still have to be nine inches away unless you have some special rule that says otherwise. Correct. All right. All right. Uh, that is the end of our questions for today. Um, I like doing this. This is uh, this is this is good stuff. I think this helps out hopefully it helps out the audience and we answer some questions. And it's a nice uh, little bit of a uh, little bit of a change of pace um, you know, to, to from doing all the codex reviews. So
1: yeah, so just a summary of today. Um, yeah. typically the word can't or overword can. Um, also, when you are looking at, for example, the fight phase, think about the order in which you're fighting it, and think of a fight last as just knocking you down one of those levels. Whether it's fight first, fight normal, or fight last, a fight last just takes you down a step. Um, and typically, uh, yes, wor- you know, wordings like, for example, your lookout, sir, are always in play, no matter what. So, as a tip, if you're a combat player and you've got some really cool characters that you don't want getting shot like I do then make sure you base enemy vehicles or whatever units that can shoot into combat base them and then keep your characters in engagement range but never base with characters and therefore you'll be safe from lookout sir uh, one other interaction on that as well is if you are engagement range and remember engagement range is only an inch not half an inch of half an inch um, so therefore if you're in combat with like a unit of vehicles only, a vehicle that's engagement range can shoot. So, if a vehicle's within half an inch of half an inch to normally fight through the other vehicle, but it's not within engagement range of one of your models, it will not be able to shoot, okay, because it's not in engagement range. And if you're even better, then make sure you fight through a wall and like a wall that's line of sight blocking, then you can fight them, but they will not be able to shoot you back because it cannot see you through the wall. It's weird, but it works. So, um, yeah, there we have it. And remember, if you're unsure on anything, always make sure you do the right thing and play the subtle, safe, and, uh, you know, non-janky way first until you find out otherwise. Uh, and if you do get the clarity that you can do the jank, then jank it up is, yep. my, is my, uh, my way. Yeah,
0: anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So no battle ready segment uh, for this episode either. I know we've gone about a month without. Guys, we will get back to those because I know we, we got a lot of positive feedback on those. We're going to get some more of those done. All right. Yeah. So um, that's it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what are we talking about next week, Dave? So next week, the dwarves are coming. We are delving deep. We are delving greedily into the the the, the depths of Khazad-dum. Uh, We are going to do the leagues of Votan, and Great. I have it on good advice that the handsomest man in forty k, Mister Jake Harding, uh, will will hopefully posit- possibly be joining us, um, so that uh, that you know he can uh, he can jump in here and and give us his his uh, his takes on Votan because he's. He is such a master of the, of the codex, such a master of the faction. He's already gotten a tattoo of their, uh, the faction uh, symbol on his arm. So we definitely need his input here. I mean, I hope you're ready. Um, yeah. It's going to be an interesting insight, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he and I text a little bit, and I know he's, he's got a completely different approach to, to playing it than I do, so... Um, I'll be interested to, to to hear your take and his take, and you know all of us kind of throwing ideas in because I'm playing Cronus Hegemony Gemini um, when it gets there because I have been away from anything melee oriented for entirely too long, so I'm just going to go full tilt into melee. So
1: that's actually exactly what I'm talking about on today's members content that I'm going to be filming so I'm really excited to do that and get into my list so uh, yeah if you want to become a YouTube member it's a great way to support the channel and also the podcast as well um, we kind of join those things together make sure you join the Facebook group Dave you've been an absolute legend as always uh, collecting all these together thanks to our amazing community for actually answering the questions and Dave I'll see you uh, see you next week then mate
0: yeah man I will uh, I will see you next week uh, ladies and gentlemen until then this is Dave Carmel for Stephen Box saying uh, paranoid Probably, but just because you're paranoid doesn't mean there isn't an invisible demon about to eat your face. Have a good week. Bye.